<laughs> you walk into the bathroom, open the shower cubicle door, and Stu's in there eating a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Adam. <laughs> And welcome to this episode of Tripology. I'm Alan, and I'm here with the ever-accurate Adam. Oh, Al, how you doing, mate? Like always, Adam, I am ever so good. Do you want to know why I'm ever so good? I do. Why are you good? Because fresh from telling the audience tales of Central America, all about Guatemala and my time there, today I get to hear about you cavorting around the home of Silicon Valley, the birthplace of the electric television. It's San Francisco here on Tropology. Adam, you've just got back from San Francisco and I am positively thrilled to have the opportunity to listen to you tell me all about it. Mm, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, uh, I, You know this, of course, I'll tell the listener as well, but it was actually cheaper for me to stagger my return back from Mexico through San Francisco. Naturally, the flight that I was taking was going to go via San Francisco anyway for a short layover, but I thought, why not just pass three or four days in a city I've never been to? Sometimes, in an attempt to exploit and subvert the brutal airline fees, I've ended up in whole new pockets of planet Earth. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) my travels are just me meandering around trying to find the cheapest flights. Sometimes I end up in a place and I think, how did I even get here but for just choosing whatever the cheapest number was on my screen at a specific point in time? So you very much ended up in San Francisco via that process, yeah? Yeah, that's the problem. I was fixated on the on the price of the flight and I had this little voice in my head going, uh, yeah, but it's, you know, maybe $60 a night for a hostel uh, dorm room. And uh, over the three nights that you're going to be there, that obviously equals more than the difference you're going to save on the flight. And I was like, yeah, but the price of the flight, though. So, <laughs> so I, just, I just went for it. And then it, it changed the course of my trip, of course, but I'm really glad I went. Have you ever been to San Francisco? I have been to San Francisco, yeah. So I'll be able to... You what? I've been there, mate. I've been there when I was 17 years old on one of my very first, if not my very first, solo excursion kind of travelling. So I might have some interjections and things to say. I would love to describe my US trip in detail at some point because it might be the thing that got me addicted to travel at such a young age. But... You've described the process by which you came to be in San Francisco. But I think that the US Mm -hmm. is one of those countries, I think it's underrated as a traveller location. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. I think you meet a lot of travellers who have bucket lists of places they want to go, things they want to do, places that they want to tick off, a proverbial box-ticking exercise of planet Earth. But I think... um, The US is rarely on that, but what a place of natural beauty, cultural significance, great intrigue to me, the country of the United States of America. So many national parks, so many interesting vibing cities, beautiful music scenes and stuff. So I want to hear, how did you find San Francisco? Well, I think, do you think it's fair to say that San Francisco, out of many of the cities in the US, is kind of put up on a pedestal? I had this idea of what San Francisco was going to be like, and it was just this really cool, hip city you know great sort of fashion and cool neighborhoods i don't know what it, good music scene as well i mean 
Lots of money there, of course. Well, it isn't our photogenic, is it? It's got beautiful Golden Gate Bridge. You've got the, the Alcatraz off. You've got the San Francisco kind of smoke, the fog, you know. And then you've got redwood trees up mm. kind of the other way, haven't you? So do you remember in Planet of the Apes, that great big battle scene that takes place and they all flee off into the redwoods? It's an often cinematized, photographed, vibing city, isn't it? Can we not go one episode without you mentioning monkeys? Uh, mate, I tell you what, this podcast, it's ornithological, it's simian in nature. I think of us as an animal wildlife <laughs> podcast first and a travel podcast second. Gotcha. Um, no, we, uh, we'll, do some, we'll do some episodes on animal encounters for sure because I know that we've both experienced many of them and I think that those are some of the best things that, that you can do while you travel. And that's the real moving stuff, but... Back to San Francisco. Okay, so I had this idea of San Francisco. And for one reason or another, I thought it was going to be the coolest city I'd ever been to. I was really, really looking forward to uh, getting to grips with what life might be like in San Francisco. Because I had met two people in Mexico City who, one of them lived in San Francisco. And the other one had just come from living in San Francisco for two years. So... Uh, you know, I picked their brains and asked them what their tips were and so on. So I was really looking forward to getting there. Didn't really know anything other than what you've mentioned, Golden Gate Bridge, Alcatraz, this sort of stuff. The fact it's fucking hilly. <laughs> I like the way you said that. It's fucking hilly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of the, uh, We'll talk about my journey from the airport to downtown because uh, that was a, you know, that was that was quite fun. But the steepness, the incline of some of the roads. I took a picture of a few of them. I'll have to share them on the Instagram, but it's almost incomprehensible that these cars that are parked sideways up these roads don't just roll down the hill. A handbrake or an e-brake or whatever they call it in the country that you're currently residing is essential in San Francisco, isn't it? Yeah. It's the only thing preventing a right rolling crisis. L let me just sort of paint a picture for you. Have you ever seen ski jumpers? I've seen a few. Yeah, where they go down that really long run and then jump off the end and they go like across a mountain, you know, the, the mountain sort of drops away. It's like in the Olympics or whatever, Eddie the Eagle. And they kind of put their body forward and bring their skis up into that V shape and then they fly, I don't know, 200 metres or however far it is. Eddie the Eagle, for our international listeners, was a British ski jumping Olympian. Not just Adam veering off to talk about ornithology again. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, another bird. Shit, shit, shit. Um, but, but no, you, you know the sort of body position that, that, that the people are in when they ski jump, right? Yeah. That's the sort of angle I'm walking up the hill at in order to not fall over. Like a segue, you're having to compensate for the incline via forward pitching. That's it. Just even if you're down by the wharf, down by Pier 39 and other things we'll talk about later. But if you just walk straight up, your calf muscles after about 10 minutes, my goodness, it's like I've just ridden a stage of the Tour de France. I texted Adam saying, oh, mate, I've just hiked Akatenango. It was one of the hardest hikes I've ever done. Adam sent me a text back like, you've not done anything of significance. I've just climbed up the street in San Francisco. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, well, I mean, we've mentioned this on the podcast before. My approach usually is just to do an entire city on foot, just walk around day after day. I was averaging about 23, 25 kilometres a day, which was pretty cool. And, you know, then use your imagination. I mean, my legs have come out like bloody, you know, ostrich legs on steroids. Ostrich is known, of course, for having 
incredibly thin, skinny legs. <laughs> I mean the power, the torque I can generate from my legs. You just had to mention a bird again. He <laughs> <laughs> chose the worst bird that you could possibly have chosen. Another bird without even realising. <laughs> yeah. um, we're going to have to change the name of the podcast because it's uh, there's obviously a continuing theme here. Yeah, man. For continuity. Okay, so you felt ostrichified <laughs> by the, your, your journeys around yeah. San Francisco. Really small arms. No, um, Wings. So my journey, when I got there, my flight, mate, I would say to the listener, right, take, take my advice, please. Don't ever book a flight from an airport at five o'clock in the morning. You feel like you made poor decisions because of the early hour. Yeah, well, it was, again, sort of the cheapest price and the flight left Mexico City at 5.05, which meant, because it was international, I was going into the US, I, I ended up getting to the airport at 3. And then, you know, what do you do the night before? Do you stay up and then be absolutely knackered for your first day in San Francisco? Or do you go to sleep and then risk missing your taxi? Yeah. I just, it was like, if it was an hour earlier or an hour later, it would have been ideal. But to get to the airport at 3 a.m. is properly shit. You've booked a flight in that odd void space of travel, haven't you? I think that... It's too early for breakfast. It's too... <laughs> you know, what can you do in that time space? You've properly inserted yourself into an odd hour of the day. Normally, you would be slumbering, but instead, grey people walk around the airport lobby all thinking about how they've lived their lives. It's terrible, isn't it? It is. It is. What made it much easier booking an Uber, actually, to the airport at that hour, because I was staying in a sort of... I don't want to say a rough area of Mexico City, but... It certainly wasn't the um, the sort of backpacker tourist center. Yeah, um, it was maybe less safe, let's say, in a love hotel. So that played into my hands because twenty four hour reception. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One hotel that the reception is very much required to be twenty four hours is the Mexican Love Hotel, isn't it? Yeah. So I went downstairs. Lovely lady at the check in. I said, look, I really need an Uber or a taxi. Do you think you could ring me one? She said, yeah, I'll book you one on my phone. No problem at all. Pay the driver when you get out. Job done. And uh, yeah, that was very stress-free, even though I was a little bit nervous about it beforehand. That was great. Got to the airport, lovely flight, slept the whole way. And then when I got out... You can sleep on planes then. Yeah, yeah. If it's, you know, five o'clock in the morning, it's not too bad. I find them a bit too pressurised, those cabins in planes to sleep. There's nowhere to go, is there, on a plane? On a car, I can rest against the window, the beautiful green noise of tyres on tarmac kind of lulls me off. But in a plane, it's like being in some sort of airborne submarine, isn't it? Those two things are oxymorons. An airborne submarine, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're just trying anything not to mention another bird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, well, usually I know how much sleep I'm going to get on a plane um, after I know where I'm sitting in the aisle. Yeah. If you're sitting on someone else, then you're not going to get any sleep at all. <laughs> That's it, yeah. yeah if, I, if I'm window side, you can sort of rest your head up against the wall, nod off maybe, roll a jumper up, stick it under your shoulder. If I'm, if I'm aisle side, that's pretty difficult. You either make really good friends with the person next to you mm. and you can use their shoulder as a pillow or you kind of have to awkwardly put your arm on the armrest and then hope that the trolley doesn't come past and bash you in the forehead. 
it always does get you though. The wheel of the trolley bumps you. Mm. It's a nightmare being aisle side, isn't it? The only thing is you can drink and <laughs> free rain going to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that anxiety gets removed. Yeah, that anxiety is funny, isn't it? Not that it's got anything to do with San Francisco, but it's worth talking about. Because um, you imagine the listener probably gets a flight or two being, you know, this way inclined. Well, unless they live in San Francisco, the only way they're going to get to enact the, the stories of this episode is by getting on a plane. So. Yeah, so when you get on a plane, um, the anxiety that you feel if you're sitting in the middle seat or the window side yeah. when you need the toilet, I sometimes go the entire flight without getting up because I'm too worried about about disturbing the person next to me <laughs> even if you need the bathroom well if i need it i usually try and um i usually try and wait so long that they need the toilet first and then i just go when they go yeah do you try and i do this as well i did this on the way back from uh, cancun <laughs> do you ever try to, to like beat them back as well like no. they, they go to the toilet i quickly try and go to the toilet while they've gone and i try and be back in my seat before they get back from the toilet. So they don't have to get up a second time. That's so considerate of you. Yeah. I get to the other side of the plane. You know, there's usually two toilets. <laughs> yeah. I get there, go there, and then try and be back in the seat before then. That's very nice of you. You're, you know, very conscientious um, plane cu- customer. What are they called? Yeah, plane customer. <laughs> a plane customer. Yeah, flyer. Um, passenger, mate. Passenger. That's the word I'm looking for. Anyway, back to getting to the airport. So got to the airport, then I needed to get downtown. My hostel was fairly central. We will talk about my hostel, actually. They are really, really lovely people, and I want to promote them. I definitely will stay there again when I go back to San Francisco. But um, got to the customer information desk, right? And this is quite surprising, or it was for me anyway. I'll be interested to get your take on it. I went to the customer information desk. I had no idea of the best way to get downtown. I knew there was a rail system and I knew there was a bus. So when I went to ask this lady for her help, she was very informative. She told me exactly where to go. She told me the frequency of the buses and trains as well and how much each one of them would cost. You know, roughly how long it would take to get into town, etc. Really, really good experience. And then I said, okay, well, you know, thanks very much for that. Which one would you recommend? Which one do you think is best? She said, I'm sorry, we can't give recommendations. Really? And I was really taken aback by her response. I was like, uh, well, I just mean, like, which one would you get if you were in my position? She said, I'm afraid I can't answer that question. Why do you think she said that? Do you think that was a policy or a personal vendetta? (laughs) I hope it's policy. The only thing I could think of when I ended up getting the train, would recommend the train to any listeners of this, we're not liable, is... Okay. Are you allowed to say that? (laughs) is, Is probably... Because if they gave a recommendation and then I took them up on that recommendation and then something bad happened, I could maybe hold them to it or something. Is there some sort of liability issue? Or I was racking my brains out thinking, do remember we're in the US, right? Yeah. Where lawsuits and people suing for things is fairly common or maybe more common in the UK. Right. I was thinking that must be the reason because I recommend, you know, my job or whatever, I, I recommend things all the time i say yeah if i was you i'd do this please let's not get in the listener's mind the idea that recommendations can be held legally liable (laughs) otherwise this travel podcast is gonna have a hellish time indeed someone goes to guatemala and gets in a tuk-tuk it breaks down and they think christ (laughs) (laughs) alan said this was the only way to travel (laughs) yeah um 
but yeah, you know, I, maybe we're too lax. Maybe, you know, as a culture, as a society, right? I just, I was really stunned by her answer. And I didn't probe too much, but I did ask a couple of times. I said, well, you can just, can you not just tell me which one you think is best? Can you write it down on a piece of paper and <laughs> mail it to me? <laughs> With a picture of yourself. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that was a little bit strange. I did find that strange. So, you know, you might experience that should you go to the customer service desk at the uh, airport. They will be very informative, but they absolutely will not give you a recommendation. But they're friendly, though. I, I've always been enamoured by the kind of hospitality of people in the US. Yeah, of course. goes without saying. They're lovely. The service I received in many industries in the US was just like it is in Canada. It's exceptional. But just not recommendation-based. Mm. And not as good as Japan. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, different episode. Yeah. But, but yeah, got down to the hostel. Hostel was wicked. Sort of located on the edge of Chinatown, like all good hostels. <laughs> I think that's such a fabulous location. Chinatown in San Francisco is brilliant. It is really, really good. Did you get there when you were 17 years old? No, didn't go to Chinatown. No. No. It's very big, actually. It's more than just a few streets. It is a whole neighbourhood, and it kind of um, there's blurry lines between the Chinatown, and then it goes into the Italian neighbourhood as well. Loads of good food down there. Again, steep as anything. <laughs> you need to do a warm up in the morning. But, um... <laughs> are you doing stretches in the hostel? <laughs> oh, are you training for a triathlon or something? <laughs> no, no. I'm just going out for the day. Yeah, just going for some noodles. Yeah. Um, but no. Definitely spent a lot of time in Chinatown, actually. The first, like, six hours of day one, I was just hanging around in Chinatown. It was very nostalgic for me because I lived in Hong Kong and mm. lots of the people actually in Chinatown, I think, are either Cantonese or of southern China descent. So there were lots of Hong Kong cafes and uh, little bakeries and stuff. And the, the, oh, mate, the food's just too good. The food's just too good. So I loved it. Loved it. And now let's talk about the hostel, please. Because Yeah, was your hostel expensive? It wasn't that expensive, no. It was a good sort of $40, $50 a night for a dorm. That's expensive. For the US, is it? That's expensive for travel. I don't know if it's... This is one thing I was going to say. When I was recommending the US as a location, I think it's underrated. It is expensive, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, let's juxtapose it with my experience in Guatemala. I was paying 5 to $10 a night for a hostel, you know? So we're talking five times more expensive than that. Yeah, I, I know. Okay, so it is, on a global scale, very expensive. Mm. However, it is the US. It is, you know, even if it's in Canada, I think that there are... And it's a city as well, right? I mean... No, sure. Canada would be much the same. And in the UK, hostels are pricey as well. If you get a hostel in London, it's going to set you back that sort of amount of money. Yeah, so... But Western city prices. I think so, yeah. you just got to, you know, just got to accept it, swallow it. But um, the hostel itself was kind of a converted residential building. And they occupied, I think it was the, either the third fourth and fifth or the fourth fifth and sixth floor the staff were just brilliant they do it's not a party hostel i'll say that it's definitely not a party hostel but they do organize events every single night mm -hmm. and whether it's board games or a movie or happy hour at a local bar whatever it might be but they're very inclusive um there actually are a couple of people staying there who are like volunteers that help out with the daily chores and you know doing the beds and bookings and stuff, getting the breakfast ready in the morning. Free breakfast as well. Really? What I liked about the breakfast, right, was that it was 
different types of bread. So loaves, whether you got your you got your whole wheat, you got your you got your white, your bright white. Peanut butter, always. Bananas, always. Yellow bananas. You don't see those nowadays in the supermarkets. What do you see in the supermarkets? I thought green bananas. ones. Fucking green bananas. Really? I always see yellows. How have we allowed that? How have we allowed, as a society, green bananas in supermarkets? See, I thought the whole thing with bananas was that there's a specific shade which is proven to sell more readily to consumers, and they always try and get it that shade. Is it not because they're sort of forcing the bananas to grow and they haven't got the time to wait until they're fully ripe so they pick them off the tree early? I think there's probably a variety of factors that have led to you having such chagrin and hubris with the bananas that you see on the shelf. (laughs) But it is nice uh, to hear that you had some luck and had kind of Amarillo bananas all up your hostel. Remember the good old days when you used to buy a bunch of bananas from the supermarket and they were that lovely shade of yellow with just a couple of brown dots on? That's the yellow of childhood, isn't it? (laughs) Um, But eggs as well. Eggs. So, you know, just help yourself, cook it up, do whatever. Who's in for the shakshuka? So the hostel was friendly, the breakfast was good, good social atmosphere, events every day. Highly recommend. Recommend enough to drop in the description of this podcast episode? Absolutely. And I'm going to mention them by name. It's ITH Pacific Tradewinds Hostel. And the manager there is called Nicole. She's wonderful. And she was actually the lady I referred to in a previous episode where we had that really long, deep conversation over breakfast. Oh, she was the manager. Nice. Okay, cool. And she's a tropologist, is she? Yeah, you bet. You bet. Nice. And uh, we spoke at length. The thing I loved about this hostel was that there were a couple of different groups, but we all got on really well. And I ended up going out on a few days out with the people that were there. Just wicked, uh, wicked sort of energy and everyone's there for the right reasons and stuff. They're just really, really nice people. And I spoke to a couple of people there about the podcast. And then I had, you know, two days later, there were people that had just joined the hostel that I hadn't even met yet that were asking me about the podcast. Oh, I've just heard that. So word was traveling around like that. And I thought, oh, that's so sweet. And they were really interested and, you know, signed up on the spot. And yeah, I think that's lovely. That's really sweet. Nice to think that the podcast is taking hold amongst those Silicon Valley eggheads. (laughs) Everyone was really getting behind it. I like to hear that a lot. Uh, but yeah, we'll link uh, the we'll link the hostel in the description, and people can find it and stuff. Definitely recommend it. Highly recommend it. Okay, so Adam, you've told us a little bit about how you got to San Francisco. You've told us about how hilly it was, where you stayed, now much it cost. But tell us a couple of the highlights of things you did while you were there. Okay, there is enough to do for sure. It's a really, really good city, and uh, loads to eat, of course. There's this wharf area that goes around one side of the city. You can do that by foot. It is quite a long walk, uh, but highly recommend doing that. It's Pier 39, and there are a number of different things to see. It's quite commercial, if I'm honest. You know, I don't know if you've... You can kind of imagine the sort of thing that I'm talking about, but there are lots of donut stands and coffee shops. They all look like franchises. It's all a little bit clean and sterile, so it's fun to walk around. But I was told before, you know, maybe spend half a day there. I went through it in 10 minutes. Nice. <laughs> it's, 
you know, is not my sort of thing. That's where the sea lions are as well, I remember from when I was there. It is where the sea lions are. So that is good. You can do the whole walk from one direction and then you sort of see it all. It takes about, you know, 15, 20 minutes, maybe get a coffee or a stick of candy or whatever you want to do. And then go and stand and look at the sea lions that are all lying there on those, um, you know, floating islands. They're quite funny to watch. They are good, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I, I did read a little bit about why they're there. I think they just... Nice, if anything, to see a sea lion. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted protection from things like orcas and sharks. Yeah, there, there's actually a long and storied history about the sea lions. It got it got all controversial at one point in recent times, but the point is the sea lions are there now and they're protected and, um, yeah, terribly safe from orcas while they're there in that bay. Let me tell you that for an absolute <laughs> fact. Did you, um, did you go to Golden Gate Bridge? Did you see Alcatraz? Yeah, so I reckon the best thing I did in San Francisco was rent a bike and I cycled around all day. I basically did this enormous loop from where I was staying in Chinatown, all the way to Golden Gate Bridge, across Golden Gate Bridge, up to the viewpoints around there, all the way back over, through this huge park called Presidio, through Golden Gate Park as well. I think the whole thing was about 30 kilometres. My goodness, I was knackered after that day, but I would highly recommend doing that. If If you can only do one thing in San Francisco, let it be that. You will not regret it. Your legs were already hurting from the hike up the hilly nature of the place, and now you're biking around that same topography. <laughs> well, it was the two days of training prior that uh, you know allowed me to build up the leg muscles. But we, we, well, I say we because it was me and this other guy called Jack, a really, really lovely guy from Ireland, and. He had actually, bless him, he had rented a bike the day before and told me how good it was. And then I was like, well, I'm going to do that tomorrow. Do you fancy coming? He was like, well, where are you going to go? I said, well, across the Golden Gate Bridge and back. He was like, that's what I did. And I was like, do you want to do it again? I think it'd be really funny if we both go. And uh, I'll post some pictures up. I got some wicked shots of Golden Gate Bridge. I don't, I'm actually, I'm going to admit for the first time on the podcast, I'm a big fan of bridges. Are you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about their engineering, but I think that even metaphorically to join two things together and make it possible in terms of access from one thing to another, I just like what they represent. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm into that, mate, because San Francisco, home to maybe one of the most iconic bridges in the world. That's it. And You know, he had actually said, the guy I was uh, travelling with on that day, he did say that, in his opinion, getting a bike to go there and back is probably better. Uh, And and that's really because of the distance. If you're a slow walker, then it can take you upwards of an hour or even two to go all the way across. Because you've got to factor in, of course, you take a couple of pictures and then you stop and you have a look and you enjoy the view and that kind of thing in both directions, right? So, yeah, there's also viewpoints right at the top, and that was a very hard climb. I wonder if I can post that video on our Instagram, actually, because I don't know if it's illegal to cycle and film at the same time. But, but the incline up to Golden Gate Bridge, there's a there's sort of a viewpoint on uh, the, the opposite side. And you look back down onto the bridge, and then you can see the Francisco City in the background and the whole Bay Area. Beautiful, beautiful scenery. You can post the video on Instagram. We're nothing if not recalcitrant on this podcast. <laughs> and uh, No, but I, I actually videoed the climb up this hill to the viewpoint. So I'm there, I'm cycling with one hand whilst cars are going past, you know, doing a little video and stuff. And I just don't know whether I would recommend doing that because it's probably quite unsafe. <sighs> but it is a good video. 
and the things we do for content. <laughs> and then, of course, we cycled all the way around through Golden Gate Park. Golden Gate Park is absolutely gigantic. I totally, I had no idea just how big that park was, but you could spend all day in there if you want. It's enormous. There are like ponds and lakes and forests and lovely little trails and stuff. Definitely recommend going to Golden Gate Park. And then there are some other neighborhoods and stuff that I certainly would recommend, especially if you love food, if you love good food. Uh, Hate Ashbury's really cool. Couple of good coffee shops there, pretty hip and trendy. And then there's also uh, the Mission area as well. So that's where lots of the good Latin American Mexican food is. And there's a park in Mission called Dolores Park, which might be one of my favorite parks I've ever been to. It was a really sunny day, loads of people out barbecuing, drinking, playing games in the park and stuff. I'll post a cool picture of that as well. It's kind of like a bowl and it goes up at the back and then gives you a great view back over onto the city skyline. So yeah, awesome stuff. Look at that. It's like a smorgasbord of recommendations for the tropologists out there that are thinking of visiting San Francisco. Did you see Alcatraz? Well, funny you should mention Alcatraz because I went with the group from the hostel. But it wasn't organised by the hostel. It was just the people that were in the hostel. And You formed a splinter group with some people at the hostel and took off into the night to see Alcatraz. That's it. They said, look, what are you doing tomorrow, Adam? We're all going to Alcatraz. Why don't you come join? Get your tickets online. So you go online. You've got to book your tickets in advance. You can show up on the day, but you risk not being able to go. Funnily enough, you get the boat to Alcatraz from this area that I was just describing. So, you know, round Pier 39 and that kind of thing. You'll see big signs and lots of people waiting. Talk about expensive, $53.25. Wow. $53.25 for a visit to Alcatraz. US. That's it. That does get you the boat ride there and back, which I would argue is pretty good on its own because you get a lovely view of the bay and also your entry into Alcatraz as well. Okay. So did you think it was a fair price or, or considered? I think so. I do think so. It's definitely worth doing. And my dad said to me before I went, I had a little chat with him about San Francisco and he's been there before and he said, are you going to go to Alcatraz? I was like, well, I don't know. It seems like quite touristy. I guess I'm quite interested in it. He said, yeah, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but you can't go to San Francisco and not go to Alcatraz, okay? <laughs> I, was like, I did. Okay, fair. You did? I did. I didn't see Alcatraz when I was there. Well, you didn't go to Tikal when you're in Guatemala either, did you? So alternative. I know. I'm such a hipster traveller. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> You're the type of guy you meet backpacking. You go, oh, yeah, how was that city? Did you, um, which hostel did you stay in? He goes, oh, no, I just stayed on a hammock on the beach. And yeah, of course you did, you cool, cool kid. <laughs> I'm the sort of guy that visits the wonderful Italian town of Pisa, but only looks at the straightest, most architecturally sound building. <laughs> Um, back to Alcatraz. So wicked boat ride over. Highly recommend that. And the weather when I arrived, Alan, was absolutely horrific. I've never seen raindrops as big as the ones that were falling in San Francisco. Was it moody, atmospheric rain that made you all vibe with the hipness of the city? Well, this was on day one. I got absolutely drenched. And, uh, you know, I'm walking 25 kilometres in the pissing rain. It wasn't that fun, thank goodness for the noodles. But on day two, the sun came out. It was really, really warm. It was the perfect weather to go out sort of sightseeing. So got on the boat, met the guys when we were there, actually. Bless them, they waited for us on the island. Wow. <laughs> Me and two other friends from the hostel, we all went together. 
and uh, we, we met them there and then we decided to do the self-guided audio tour. So you've got the, the headphones on, you get your little pack and that kind of thing and you kind of walk around, it tells you, you know, now go to point one, now walk through the door on the left, now go and stand in front of cell 131 or whatever. And I think that was enough to be honest. You could do a guided tour with a guide but the group was so large that you couldn't really hear what the guy was saying if you're standing at the back and stuff. Then you're kind of governed by other people's time. So we, we were quite happy to do the audio tour. Highly, highly recommend it, honestly. It was very, very good. It was bloody bleak. Sort of bleak in an interesting sort of cathartic way or bleak more like it tumbled you into a spiralling and undeniable depression. <laughs> well, I think... So it's already a jail on an island, right? The chances of you escaping are almost zero. Maximum security. And then the audio tour does a fantastic job of describing what life was really like for those inmates in the jail. Mm. So you're walking around. It's pretty quiet because everyone's got their headsets on, right? And I just imagined what life really would have been like if I was in jail in Alcatraz at that time. And you hear some really depressing stories from some of the inmates they do actually have interviews with the inmates and they kind of recount tales go on what's the most brutal thing you listen to are you there so there was one one inmate that was describing one section one side of the prison and that was the most sought after or the the row of cells along that side of the prison were the most sought after because there was at least some natural light that would come through the windows wow and that's all they ever wanted it's all relative at that point isn't it yeah and th- their wants and needs are kind of reduced somewhat. And all they wanted was just to be in a cell with some natural light. And that would completely change their experience of being in there. So that hit me pretty hard. And then there was another story from an inmate who, who said, <laughs> in order to pass the time, he created a game where he would rip off a button from his overalls, spin it on the floor, get on his hands and knees and close his eyes, and then just sort of scope around with his eyes closed on all fours, trying to find the button. And then when he found it, he'd just get up and do it again. And he would do that for hours and hours until his hands and knees bled. Wow. So compelling was the game that he would continually do it to the point where his digits were red raw. I mean, his mental health may have suffered from being in the jail for a number of years, but that was his form of entertainment. Wow. Wow. So I mean, that's, yeah, it's indicative of the sort of... <laughs> it's left you speechless, so... <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to treat it with the proper amount of... Uh... <laughs> it's making me laugh because it's just the kind of thing that I would do at the moment. Um... <laughs> Is that why your button's undone? Yeah. <laughs> Wow, I mean that's indicative of how severe the situation is for these for these inmates. I imagine, I mean, you must know, maximum security prison. A lot of these guys did terrible, unspeakable things, but still, I imagine it's quite easy to cultivate the sense of empathy hearing those human stories. Mm, definitely, and there are a number of inmates that I guess are probably more famous than others. Al Capone being one of them. But I read the bio, or the you know, there's a short story about one of the inmates there, and he was put in jail. Clint Eastwood being another. <laughs> he was. He, this guy was put in jail uh, for a number of years for stealing sixteen dollars and twenty five. What's that in then money though? I mean, it was then. 
<laughs> You've not accounted for inflation, have you? That could have bought many houses back then. He was probably, with that 1625, he was probably living in a penthouse suite in Silicon Valley. It was only in the 1920s or 30s, I think. It wasn't like... No, it was... no, Adam, you've misunderstood, I'm afraid. That guy deserved to be in Alcatraz. <laughs> the equivalent of stealing the crown jewels from Tower of London. <laughs> exactly. Terrible load of hullabaloo. Um but it just it just seemed a little bit harsh. I'm saying, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt, right? He's, uh, <laughs> but you know, you spend a couple of hours there, and it's really interesting. Definitely recommend doing it. You should go, and it, even sort of the architecture of the place, you really get a feel of just how separate some of the outbuildings were, and the guards had to live as well, just next to the prison or even inside some of the adjoining buildings, right? So, all of the wardens, the staff, even the families of the staff, it was, uh, yeah, it must have been quite something when it was when it was up and running. How much natural light was there in the guards' room? Was there enough to beckon in the process of photosynthesis for some living matter? Could they have a cactus or a peace lily in their rooms? Well, I mean, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the where the guards were living was just another part of the jail because, you know, it all looks pretty uninspiring. I mean, it's a it's bloody depressing building. Quite brutalist architecture, isn't it, Alcatraz, famously? <laughs> yeah, very much so, yeah. They didn't have a terrace or a pergola. No, not at all. Nice view of San Francisco City, though. <laughs> See how the other half live. So you've gone to Alcatraz. Did you make it out to the Sequoia Redwoods? Because I remember when I was in San Francisco, just 10 miles kind of out from Golden Gate Bridge, there's these Sequoia Redwoods, California coastal redwoods. You can see some of the biggest, oldest trees on planet Earth there. And I remember being quite taken with them when I was 17. Oh, I went up to this one that's called General Sherman. It is, took a picture with it. Huge, great big tree stretching right up into the sky and as wide as you could possibly think a tree might be so i liked it a lot um did you make it out there i didn't i didn't i'm I'm ashamed to say i didn't i was there for three and a half days and i did make uh, an effort to see most of the city in that time but yeah didn't didn't get out to the sequoia redwoods or even napa valley which is a famous wine region and i'm a little bit gutted about that so you've been to alcatraz and i haven't i've seen the redwoods and you haven't but together we form one whole experience of san francisco and that's what i love about tropology very much we're about sharing experiences we can't possibly see all the places on planet earth individually can we but together as a global community we'll see it all we'll do it all as long as there's a tropologist on every corner of this planet i'll be happy but i won't be satisfied until that moment until we receive emails from each and every one of you on every country on every corner on every continent with that adam i think we should have a brief meditation break and then go on to hear from one of those listeners somewhere somewhere there in the world there's a tribologist thinking god i want to get in touch with adam and alan i've got a question burning in my mind something about travel something about backpacking surely they can answer it for me Ah, shall we close our eyes and when we rejoin with the conscious world we'll hear from one of our beautiful listeners Oh, it's like my conscious mind falling back into me cranium after that meditation break. And there I am, effervescent, excited and ready to continue with the podcast. So as all our listeners are aware, we're very much in the business of building a travel community here on Tropology, the Travellers podcast. 
And one of the key ways in which we do that is by inviting our listeners to email us at tropologypodcast at gmail.com or by sending us a direct message on Instagram at tropologypodcast. We invite our listeners to cast their mind's eye into an imaginary realm. It's a hostel, a great big building where travellers come from all around, perhaps overlooking a sea view. They burst through the reception, swing past the kitchen and into the common area where they see Adam and I sat on beautiful leather sofa thinking about all the things to do with travel. They have a question, they ask it to us and we answer in what can only be described as excellent, knowledgeable and succinct manner. So Adam, have you got a question that someone's asked us via email that we're going to answer today? Yes, I've got one here and it's from Martina from Malaga and she's titled the subject of the email Complete Disregard of Dorm Room Etiquette. (laughs) She says... Hola, Martina from Malaga here. I've recently returned from a one-month interrailing trip around Europe. Let me tell you, it was the best thing I've ever done. I stayed mainly in hostels, and even though the vast majority of people were great, some of them weren't considerate. Have either of you witnessed a complete disregard of dorm room etiquette? Can you share your most outrageous story? Keep up the great work, Martina from Malaga. Martina's been interrailing all over Europe and she's observed a distinct lack of observation of the presupposed terms and conditions of staying in a dorm room. Outrageous. Yeah, I know I have some stories about this sometimes. We've already talked on the podcast a little bit about snoring, a little bit about (laughs) fiddling with zips on bags in the middle of the night, struggling to get that 3am flight. I've actually got some stories about this that have happened since we aired that hostel etiquette episode all about life in the dorm room. I tell you what, when I was backpacking around Central America just recently, me and my friend were in this large sort of 20 bed dorm and (laughs) one member of the travel community placed all his luggage and all his bags in front of the door so that when you try to enter the dorm room or leave the dorm room at any time of day or the middle of the night or wherever you needed to exit you'd have to shift his bags out of the way you couldn't get in properly it was one of the most flagrant (laughs) disregardings of what are obviously the understood rules of travel always put your bag to one side or in a locker or something I mean this guy He piled his stuff in front of the door. So obviously, (laughs) make sure your bags aren't in everyone's way. Aside from that, just the obvious stuff, you know, that we've already talked about. If you're a potent snorer, perhaps a private room. If you need to fiddle with your luggage in the night, (laughs) take it outside first and stuff your belongings in kind of away from the zone where everyone's sleeping. I think a lot of hostel etiquette, dorm room etiquette things are fairly self-explanatory, really. Another thing I can think of off the top of my head is when I entered into a hostel dorm room and the person staying in the bunk bed above me was really obviously deathly sick and ill. Uh. And I think if you're really ill, if you're sneezing, if you're sniveling, if you're coughing, perhaps it's time to, um, I mean, at the very least, inform the rest of the dorm room that you ain't doing so good. And I think you should probably book a private room at that point. Adam, what about you? Hostel etiquette? Yeah, well... Now, I'm not going to change my story. There's only one that I can tell. But in that same dorm room, 
the way mm. this story happened. Yeah. I was really sick. And now that you've just mentioned that, you, you know, really the courteous thing to do would have been to leave and have a, you know, your own room. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do that. And the guy that this story is about was the one to look after me when I was going through that episode. So now I feel awful that I'm about to tell this story. Okay. But, um, but no, it is, it is amazing. It's probably the only time that something like this has happened. And I hope that he doesn't mind me telling this story because he is a good friend of mine. I love him to bits. And we used to live in Hong Kong together in a hostel. So really sweet guy, lives in Taiwan. I'm going to see him next year. You know, wonderful bloke, good friend of mine. <laughs> but I remember, I remember a time when I was coming back from work. So I'll try and set the scene for you. I'm working in a wine bar in Hong Kong. Usually my hours are sort of two in the afternoon till about 1, 1 a.m., right? So I get back just after one. I've done a really long shift at work. I'm absolutely knackered. I walk up the stairs to the common room and I can smell the unmistakable scent of a pepperoni pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was overwhelming. And got- <laughs> It was overwhelming. You became overwhelmed by the scent. It oppressed you, did it? <laughs> I thought that is, there's only one thing that's going to be, and that is a hot, sweaty pepperoni pizza. If I walk into the room and this is a margarita, I'd be stunned. <laughs> so there, so I go through into the common room. Now, the common room was obviously a communal area where there were, you know, tables and the toilets were off to one side. And then there was a seating area with a table and, you know, some sofas and stuff. And the dorm rooms were off of the common room. So as I got into the common room, they were empty. No one was in there. And then I could see that the door to the dorm room I was staying in was ajar. And lo and behold, through the crack in the door, there he was, my mate Stu, on the top bunk, eating this pepperoni pizza. <laughs> so I just walked in after a long day of work. Open the door. <laughs> lights on. You know, 1am. Luckily, he's the only person in there. And I've gone, Stu, what the fuck are you doing? He was like, I'm just having a pizza, mate. I was like, on your bed, in the dorm? He said, yeah, well, you know, I'm just I'm tired. I said, but, but you can't eat the pizza in the dorm. The thing fucking stinks, and we've got to sleep in there. <laughs> he was like, oh, I was, you know, sorry, mate, I've, the door's open. <laughs> I was like, I've just opened the door. The thing it smells so bad in here. <laughs> Any aeration that's occurring has taken place as a result of my actions. <laughs> <laughs> I said... I said, could you not have could you not have eaten it in the in the common room or even like downstairs in the reception? It's so late. And he was like, oh mate, I was just so hungry and so tired. I ordered the pizza to the bed. I said, Do you mean the hostel? And he said, No, no, the, the bed. I haven't moved in hours. I said, How did you order a pizza to the bed? He said, Oh, I just gave the delivery driver instructions. I just texted him. And, you know, he came into the hostel and, and delivered it. I was like, he actually hand delivered you this pizza to the bed itself. He said, yeah, 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 what's wrong with that? I was like, well, hang on, there's a code to get in the door. How did he get in the door of the hostel? He said, oh, I just texted to him. <laughs> I said, mate, you're a fucking nightmare. Do you not think you've just compromised the safety and security of this hostel? He was like, I just didn't think about it. I was starving. <laughs> he was attacking you on many fronts, wasn't he? He was attacking your sense of security. He was attacking your olfactory senses. I just, um, I was just completely beside myself. Obviously, very fatigued as well. 
The room stank like you wouldn't believe. It was a very small hostel room with nine beds in it, right? And there was not enough room. Uh, you know, it's the sort of hostel room where everyone sleeps with their bag on their bed because that's the only place. It was just the door almost bashed into the wall and one of the beds as you go in. Mm. We're in Hong Kong, right? So real estate is hard to come by. Yeah. But absolutely stinking. And I was like, Matt, like, Stu, I'm so sorry, mate, to go off on one. But even if someone was to spray deodorant in a dorm room, right, it stinks it out. Like, even though it's quite a nice smell... I just can't accept you doing that. And he was like, oh, you know, sorry, mate, I'll get down and stuff. And then went and ate it in the common room. I was like, you might as well fucking finish it on your bed. Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I would I would argue that maybe be a little bit considerate with the sorts of, um, you know, smells, whether it's food or aerosols or anything like that, because there are lots of other people living in the dorm and uh, and you kind of subject everyone to whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> so yeah. Well, speaking of that exact problem, because that is very much brought about by just proximity, isn't it? That smell issue. Mm. You're there with a lot of other travellers. Very confined. And I think perhaps the elephant in the room with this email, perhaps the biggest cardinal sin with being in a dorm room with other travellers sleeping in the same area is sex, right? Other travellers having sex <laughs> in a room that you're trying to sleep in. The pizza did look pretty good. I think we just have to address that. You have to address... At one point, you are going to come across that, if if not, you know, be involved in it yourself. I think we have to address just the aspect of dorm room life. And we didn't do this in the episode we did on life in the dorm room. But it should be mentioned that sometimes people elect to become intimate in a dorm room scenario. I don't know what your opinion is of this, Adam, but mine is there are just better places to be intimate with people than in a dorm room with other people. I understand that it happens and goes on. <laughs> But my advice to any people travelling would be to splurge out on a private room or find somewhere slightly more secluded. I mean, quite often it's impromptu, isn't it? It's not always planned. So, I mean, ideally you'd have a private room and you have to understand or maybe believe that the people involved would also rather have a private room. I think it's sometimes easier to procure a private room spontaneously than people might imagine. And also, if you get creative, there's other places that are far more private in the hostel. I'll let the tripological audience use their imagination as to what that might be, but it's never <laughs> necessary to have sex with each other in a dorm room. There's lots of places where you can have far more imaginative, unique sexual experiences that doesn't involve waking everyone up. And that's just the straight facts of it. You walk into the bathroom, open the shower cubicle door, and Stu's in there eating a pizza. <laughs> exactly. Well, what do you want? <laughs> exactly and that is all i have to say on the matter perhaps if the audience is interested we can do a tropology episode on intimacy whilst traveling because i think it's quite an interesting issue the other podcasts won't dare touch because it's just too controversial but we here at <laughs> tropology are more than happy to talk about it and every other aspect of life on the road eating a pizza becoming intimate thinking about where you might put your bags all these things are important things to consider when you live in in a hostel adam's just traveled all over san francisco and you the tripological audience have just been informed about all the things that you should do while you're there 
Next week on this podcast, we venture out into new territory as we invite a leading travel expert onto the podcast to talk about all of their experiences going across over 130 countries. What a wonderful opportunity to speak to someone who knows all about travel. We'll get him here on Tropology Podcast, the Travellers Podcast. Please, everyone, email us at tropologypodcast at gmail.com. Send us a message at tropologypodcast on Instagram. And we extend our love out to you. We will see you next week. Because I am sick and tired of living in the present, Adam. Shall we go off there now? <laughs> Let's do it. Oh, bye. Bye. bye.